Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosser. It gives me great pleasure to welcome regular guest on What's Making News, co-host Russell Hanby. Welcome, Russ, to uh, What's Making News. Thanks, Henry. Well, what a, what a week. But before we've got get into um, where we're now sitting here in Melbourne, Victoria, um, you had homework. Yeah, a little bit of homework. Uh, interesting stuff this time. We were talking about names of uh, a couple of towns in the hills, the Dandenongs and that. Yeah, we were. And, and you wanted to know the origin and what, what, what it was all about, you know. One of them you were fascinated by was Wuri Alec. Wuri Alec, yes. Yeah, between Lilydale and Portland there. And, uh, yeah, well, I looked at a bit of research on it, and um, the post office there opened on the 1st July 1886 as Wuri Yaloak, Y-A-L-L-O-A-K. So it was Yaloak originally, not Yalok. And it changed its name to the current spelling around 1911. Its name derives from an Aboriginal term. We sort of guessed it was Aboriginal in origin, meaning running creek. So running creek, Wuri Yalak. In, in, in the early 1860s, the, the 13,000 hectare Wuri Yalak pastoral station was on the Wuri Yalak Creek. Uh, farmers took up selections in the 1870s. Um, uh, the primary school opened in 1874, a uh, hotel and post office in 1886. And the railway to Warburton, there used to be a railway to Warburton passing through uh, in 1900. Uh, the station's still there, apparently, and, and it closed in 1965 and uh, became a big timber milling area. So um, that's a bit of the history of Wurri Alec. Wow, and that all started back in 18... In uh, yeah, 1860s, uh, it was a pastoral station, uh, and then it was uh, carved up into selections in the 1870s. Absolutely fascinating. And the other one? was Mondalk, uh, uh, originally referred to as the Dandenong Forest Village Settlement. That's how it was known, a bit of a mouthful, the Forest Village Settlement. It was established in 1893 and uh, consisted of 78 farms, each with 10 acres, so fairly small lots. Mm. That's another Aboriginal name from Monbolock or Monbolak, meaning hiding place or sanctuary in the hills. Wow, well, there you go, a sanctuary in the hills, a lovely place, Monbolk. That's, uh, That's right. And, <laughs> and when the parish of Monbolk was established, the, uh, the town's name was changed to Monbolk as it is now. The Monbolk Jam Factory you mentioned last yes. week, that was established in 1897, along with the primary school, same year. And SPC bought the jam factory in the 1970s, and it closed in 1991. So that's a little bit of history about, about Monbolk. Oh, the other little thing was you I couldn't get very far. You remember that old guy that lived and said he ate chicken brains or something to yes, for his longevity? Yes, yes, I Well, I couldn't find any, just his theory on that. It's not documented in the medical journals, but... Um, There's no evidence to suggest that if you eat chicken brains, no, you will live country, longer. But people do eat it in some countries. Uh, it's about the size of a marble, most of the average really? chicken brain. And you scoop it out from the brain cavity with a chopstick, if you're oh. interested in that, as a delicate. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no I've never been interested. Well, chickens are not noted for their intelligence, are they? Not really. They're, no, they're a bit muddle-headed, aren't they? And they don't have a particularly big brain either. No, about match. the size of a marble. A marble. I suppose an average marble, not a tom. Remember the old tombolas? Yes, I remember ones? the tombolas. You'd get the tom- the big ones and you'd wreak havoc with all the little ones. I remember one person once had a big tombola and I tried to hit it with one of mine and I, mine splintered and splintered. Yeah, yeah that was yeah, the end yeah. of my little marble. I realised that tombolas yeah, 
were too big. That's right. They chipped pretty easily, if oh, you were too big, did. didn't they? Yeah. Now, what about sassafras? Did you find out where sassafras came from? No, no. Uh, I did. I think it is, as I said, it's named after sassafras gum, but uh, I can look into that if you like for next oh, time. Oh, absolutely. Well, that's your homework. You get 10 out of 10 for that. Oh, good. <laughs> well done, Russell. Well, we'll get into what's going on, and I think um, the news has moved on by the hour really here at the beginning of the day. Yes, it had. It changed about nine. Well, I, well it was announced around about 10, 30, 11 o'clock, but uh, it, it has changed, of course, and we're talking about the, the lockdown, aren't yes, we? Yes, because uh, early today the state was on the brink of a snap lockdown to halt the virus in the age. The Victorian government was likely to send the state into lockdown after senior cabinet ministers met late into the night to decide how to contain Melbourne's growing COVID-19 outbreak. Uh, yeah, we're now finding that um, we're all in lockdown again uh, for a week. That's right. And uh, yesterday, there were 80 public uh, exposure sites and the others that are private but homes that aren't being claimed. Uh, in four hours, the number of cases has doubled, so that's one of the main reasons, I think. And, uh, and so on Thursday, there were 12 cases clean, giving 34 active cases. The good news was that 40,411 tests results were received in those 24 hours. But anyway, the update is because of all that, we've got a seven-day lockdown from 11.59 on last night, Thursday night. And it's a hard lockdown. It is indeed. It's it's probably as severe as we've had, isn't it? Uh, Stay at home except for five reasons. Uh, The fifth reason now is to receive a vaccination. Otherwise, it's shopping. One person per house. uh, at supermarkets or whatever, caregiving and compassionate reasons. You can get you back to the two hours of exercise a day with one other person or with family members. And um, if you have a prize work or permitted education, uh, that's the other only other. Yes, uh, Russell, that uh, that's certainly the state. Moving on, the Herald Sun, Russell. Um, interesting one about our suburbs. Yes, the burbs to beat price boom. A handful of Melbourne's most livable postcodes where you can still beat the city's $1 million median house price tag have been earmarked as potential boom boobs. And uh, PRD real estate research shows that a lift in the median price of houses within 20 kilometres of the CBD has risen from $1.04 million at the end of March 2020 to $1.06 million this year. That's uh, over the last lockdown period. Uh, now, comparatively, though, there are more affordable options available around about the seven to $800,000 median. We've got Greenvale at 750000 Belfield at 800000 and Mulgrave at 850000 Now, there, there are probably some cheaper suburbs, but they talk about the livability of the suburbs, have proximity to schools, parks, transport and shops, and uh, a low unemployment. So they're the three main areas at the moment that uh, are a bit cheaper than the others. Now, their chief economist, though, does expect, like everywhere else, these prices to soar. So uh, that's uh, what's happening. What's happened in the gully? The gully? Oh, going up a little bit. Uh, I I think the average price is getting close to 800000 now, but uh, it's been a bit slower than some other areas. Well, that's good for people who want to get in there, but maybe not so much for people who are looking to um, upsell. Yes, right. There's always two sides of the coin, isn't there? Yeah, there's always two sides of the coin to houses. Well, that's interesting, interesting news. Of course, if interest rates go up any time soon, that'll have an impact too, won't it? That's right, yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, the uh, Victoria's average home loan 
was $506,000 now, up from five hundred and four. So it's gone up a couple of thousand in, in, uh, in a year. Absolutely. Or a couple of, couple of years, yeah. Yeah. Now, the age, this is a an, – an, 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 uh, the Herald Sun is an interesting one, Russell. Picking up the pace in the tunnel, green pacemaker lights have been found to improve traffic flow through one of Melbourne's worst bottlenecks by telling drivers to maintain their speed. Um, what do you make of that one? Well, that's an interesting one. It's the first I've heard of it, really. Uh, they're, apparently, they're moving green lights uh, – designed to act as a visual cue to encourage motorists to keep driving at the speed limit. Um, so it's, uh, I thought it might be to make them slow down, but apparently, particularly the Burnley Tunnel, uh, there's a valley, you go down, then up again, and apparently they've found that many cars slow down on the uphill slope, uh, and that causes a backlog of congestion. Uh, now, there were 124 people in a trial, and they reported their driving experience had improved by 40% in the simulation. They're, they're more consistent speed. The line of sight apparently improves from 32 metres to 42, and they had fewer symptoms of anxiety. And they actually spent less time looking at dashboards and more on cars in front of them. So these green lights, I suppose, are they, are they tailored for each car? I don't quite know what the technology is there, do you? No, I'm not particularly familiar with that, um, but uh, they seem to be, well, they seem to be a really good technological advance. I know going through the tunnels is interesting because you do worry about um, going too fast and getting booked. I, I know that's a concern because they do have speed cameras in there, uh, and, and, and I think that might be one of the reasons why people perhaps slow down um, more than what they should. Um, or need to do. Um, but it's amazing what technology is doing, isn't it? You know, we, it is. we can get uh, so many advances for it that uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, we've now, what, semi-remote driving, haven't we? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and uh, apparently with these green lights, uh, Japan has used this technology, uh, so it's uh, been tried and proved in other countries, apparently. Yes, and um, as the Transurban General Manager, Phil Knoll, said, um, this change in speed is a trend we see at all times of the day, even during off-peak in the middle of the night, it can create a backlog of congestion like water being poured into a funnel too quickly. That is, people just um, watching the cars in front of them. That's right, yes. Yeah. So, you go so through the a... tunnel, there's your next solo homework. Next time you go through the tunnel, um, when these green lights are operating, um, let us know how it works. Okay, I don't think I'll be going for a while, but uh, I'll do that, yes. Absolutely. This next one's a... I suppose a sad one in a way, a disturbing one, isn't it, Russell? Yes, uh, mine site uh, birds uh, uh, suffer shocking plummet. That's the M-I-N-E, mine site. Official counts of the black-throated finch at the Carmichael coal mine site in Queensland recorded an 82% drop between 2019 and 2020, according to the first official survey conducted for Adami there. And... Uh, Yes, this black-throated finch management plan 2020 uh, last July showed the number of endangered birds in the region dropped from 1,026 in 2018 to just 185 in 2011. Uh, conservationists, of course, opposed the mine's approval because the Carmichael mine is home to the largest population of the endangered finch. But Adani got into trouble apparently because they've apparently also run cattle at a far higher density than agreed upon to reduce the disturbance to the finch. Uh, a mine spokeswoman, though, said that 
The reduced finch numbers were likely the result of limited rainfall and, and unusually hot and dry conditions during the survey period, not so much the mine. So we're going to get the two sides, of course, arguing on that one. Yes. The, and the University of Queensland Research Fellow April Reside is horrified at the decline in numbers. And uh, however, the Environment Department said that excavation of the mine was not seen as a cause for the drop in numbers. So we're getting sort of mixed messages about that, aren't we, a little bit? Mm, well, you tend to get a bit of a mixed message from people who want to develop something and those who don't want it developed. Um, I don't know the outcome of uh, that dispute. It'd be interesting to see where that ends up because uh, have Adani got approval for that mine, taking into account the issue with the black-throated finch? Uh, I think, well, I don't know. I suppose they have. Uh, the article just says how conservationists oppose the approval, but whether it's gone ahead, uh, the impression is that it has, I don't know. In a, in a related issue with the Dani um, Russell, on Tuesday they lost a federal court decision about drawing 12.5 million litres of water from the Sutter River to wash coal and suppress dust at the Carmichael mine, but, uh, but the company said it had arranged alternative sources of water and for those people who are not familiar with it, the Carmichael mine is located about 320 kilometres west of Rockhampton in Queensland's Galilee Basin. Yes, so it's uh, right out in the middle of uh, the back there, isn't it? Long way away from the populated <laughs> areas, it sounds. Yeah, the middle of nowhere, out in the hinterland. Uh, it's pretty dry and dusty out there. Mm. Yeah. Now, the odd spot, you ever done any yeah. jousting? <laughs> Jousting, no, or, but we're looking at joshing now. <laughs> it, started with, it started with a bit of joshing, but soon led to jousting. Hundreds of people, all called Josh, gathered in the US to fight for the honour of being the one true Josh. It was all started by Josh Swain, a 22-year-old, a student from Arizona, who uh, messaged other people who share his name on social media. After he chose a location at random, hundreds of people showed up in Lincoln, Nebraska, and battled each other armed with foam pool noodles after first playing a game of rock, paper, scissors. The one true Josh, well, Josh someone. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it's a, an amazing bit of fun. Um, <laughs> I mean, is, you have to laugh at the inventiveness of people to come up with hilarious um, activities that have no real consequence other than to entertain and amuse people. And, uh, and I, I doff my cap to Josh Swain for that. Clearly yeah, he wasn't a, the one who won. No, I've got another article uh, from a magazine that just came in the mail today and uh, apparently um, a four-year-old boy named Joshua Vinson Jr., Joshua Vincent Jr., won the battle and was declared the winner of the pool noodle battle. And he was given a Burger King crown and hoisted into the air to the round of cheers from all the Joshes there. So a four-year-old won, apparently. Ah, oh, that's good. Look, look, I'll tell you one thing, Russ. It is, you can sit here and go, my goodness, what a load of nonsense. Yet on the other hand, it's a bit of lightness and levity and distraction from all the seriousness of life. And uh, I'm sure the people who partook of, of that activity had an enormous amount of fun, probably made a few new friends along the way. And that little four-year-old, well, he'll never forget, will he? He'll never. No, he won't. He's probably forgot photos and that. He'll keep them treasured memories, won't he? 
Yeah, absolutely. Can you remember anything ridiculous you ever got involved in? An activity that was just sheer fun and nonsense and <laughs> all it did was entertain people and there's something to chuckle about? Uh, really, no. I can't think of anything off the top of my hat. Uh, how about you? Have you got something to think about? Oh, there's so many. I can't pick one out. <laughs> by hey, listen, that's our homework for next week, Russell. We've both got to come up with some activity in which we were engaged in in our lives that was harmless, nonsensical, fun, and uh, and uh, and uh, distracted us from the seriousness of life for a while. Okay, well that'll be interesting to think about, won't it? Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Look, you take care, and we will, and stay safe. I think that's back in vogue. Until next week. Okay, and we'll look forward to speaking to you then. Absolutely. That's Russell Hanby, What's Making News. Uh, Listeners, we'll be back uh, shortly.